Welcome to the Give This Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Kai. This podcast is sponsored by the GPS Island Program, which Forbes has stated helps entrepreneurs become professional speakers. For more information, go to ChristopherKai.com. Our guest today is Tariq Lavelle. He's a speaker and best-selling author of World Clash. He's been on Fareed Zakaria today, Japan Times, and Chicago Tribune. Tariq, thanks so much for being on our podcast. It's so wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. So let's just dive right in. You briefly talked to me about your book. It's called World Class, which by the way is a great title. So let's just talk about what your book is about. Yeah, so I have three kids who are now 16, 14, and 11. But back when I only had two kids in diapers in 2006, I had the opportunity to move to Hong Kong for work. And my book is basically about how the next 12 years took me to uh, starting in Hong Kong and then going on to Shanghai, Tokyo, Palo Alto, California, and then back to New York City, raising three kids in the local public schools of those cities. And why did you decide to, decide to write the book? Um, well, it's a great question. You know, I came back uh, every summer with my kids to the U.S., and I kept seeing the differences in child-rearing practices and education and educational outcomes. And I thought, wow, I have all this information I have a master's in comparative and international education. I'm an education journalist. I have so much personal and professional knowledge to share with U.S. and global readers. And I think we can all help one another and this next generation as the world gets increasingly global and complicated. So I was like, I, I, when I came back to the U.S., especially in 2016, I said, I just need to write this book. And I was lucky enough to be able to get a book deal to do so. That's awesome. I remember that Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book, I think it's called Outliers, where he talked about how the, the, the Chinese words and the numbers are, are placed, because I can speak Chinese and write Chinese, so I was born and raised in Europe, but literally it's like one is just a horizontal line, two is two horizontal lines, three is three horizontal lines, and Vietnamese, Japanese, and Korean are all based on Chinese characters. But what, essentially he was saying that we as a Asian culture, from a linguistic standpoint, allows us to understand things a little bit quicker earlier on, and as a result, we're able to process things more. At least that's what I remember what he, he was postulating. Is that, do you feel that's a, on a, some level of uh, understanding and, and relevance? I think there's something to that for sure. I think what, I'll take it to the next level, which is that to be able to read a newspaper in Japan, for example, you have to have formal schooling through the end of middle school, which is ninth grade. And that requires tons of rote learning, memorization of characters. And in China, when you start first grade, you have to know 500 characters. So that academic exercise alone, right, the rigor in that and having that high expectation is so tremendous that that already sets your kind of your neurological systems in your brain on a really, really strong course. And then, you know, there's no, there's no excuse for it. In the US, there's a lot of, which I don't knock at all, I think it's wonderful project-based learning, but at the same time, there's been kind of a backlash against any kind of rote learning. And from my perspective, in life, sometimes you just gotta memorize stuff like the multiplication table, sight words. And I think that our, our kids have a lot to learn from those kinds of practices overseas. Well, I have a very visceral response to that because I was born and raised in New York, so I'm American, I'm very proud of it, but my parents from Hong Kong, as I mentioned to you, and I was forced to go to Chinese school for 13 years. And I think, I didn't have a great memory, but I think my memory started getting worse when I stopped caring about my Chinese school. <laughs> but what I'm saying is I actually hated traditional school because all they did was teach to a test 
And if you're not a great test taker, then you're not perceived as smart. And I, I, I felt that throughout all of my nine years of school. So I'm curious, again, I agree with you that education is important, but bluntly speaking, I really don't think that the traditional education is actually helping a lot of our kids. Because like me, I'm grateful that I pushed past those labels of, oh, you're not very smart, you're not very bright, you didn't do well in your SATs. And I know a lot of people, by the way, millions of more people are not going to go to these great Ivy League schools or even write books, perhaps. But I'm curious, like, what do you say to the general mass public that uh, might want to be educated but don't want to learn how to read or not read well, but memorize well? Well, there's so many things that you just said, um, but I'll try to break it up and simplify it as, as much as possible. Uh, in life, if we teach our kids that they can kind of learn and be self-directed uh, as much as possible, then that really doesn't set them up for a life where you can't control everything and you have to be very flexible and adaptable. And those are really, you know, we can look at Darwin and see survival of the fittest. And I would say the problem with the schooling is definitely that kids don't have a buy-in, like they don't know why they're learning what they're learning. And that's definitely a problem in any school if, if the teacher of the school doesn't make that exciting, relevant, um, and, and motivating kids to, to, to want to study. I would say another thing that's happening is this trend where we used to be maybe much more rote um, or much more, I don't even want to say that. In the U.S., it's a very mixed bag, right? We can say there's a lot of teaching to the test because since there was no child left behind that was enacted during the Bush era, we talked about how literally schools would get funding based on test results. So we started increasing um, teaching to the test. And it created a, comp a competitive system. And, you know, then our property taxes, which is how we fund our local public schools, get involved. And it becomes uber competitive in teaching to the test. I will say that overseas, these other countries that have been vilified pretty much for being only rote, and I'll bring up Japan, China, South Korea, Hong Kong, Singapore, Taiwan, it's actually quite the opposite. They've changed their schooling so much over the last, I want to say, generation, last few decades that there's so much more creative thinking and project-based learning overseas, and they're only perfecting those practices, whereas our system is, is definitely struggling right now to find a good balance. No, that's great, because I've actually taught in high schools where there are Aristines. I've mentored thousands of homeless kids, and I would see literally the outcome where no, I, I literally would meet a 16-year-old young man or young woman in Turu, and they never had any grade higher than a C. And you can just see the, the sadness in their face because they always just felt labeled as stupid. And that, again, that label carries a long way. Now, I, don't, I, I actually wish that, as you are saying, the whole reason of learning, I love to read now. I am a voracious reader only because now I know how to read better. Now I know how to memorize better. But again, if the school were to create that, I'm just, it would just make it more exciting. Because as an education speaker, what do you most want to convey in your speeches to your audiences? I would say there are a few things that I think are most important. First, there's nobody more, there's nothing more important in the schools than the teacher and the relationship between the teacher and each of the students. So we have to be investing in recruiting the best and the brightest to become our teachers, investing in retaining them and investing in their career development and professional development. And we really don't do that. And the countries with thriving school systems do do that. I would say from a home uh, school perspective, the communication between the family and the school totally transparent and it happens again in thriving school systems and the U.S. struggles with that. And then I would say the last thing that the U.S., especially through this pandemic that we're seeing crystal clear is our inequity 
is very, very troubling and it's only getting worse. We're only as good from my perspective as our weakest um, is our weakest student and we shouldn't be having such gaps in the educational experiences between the haves and the have nots. And that's, and that's really, really painful because the way our schools are funded right now, it's by local tax dollars and state dollars and the federal funding on average is only at the 10% level. So you see here that those who are most socioeconomically disadvantaged, the most vulnerable are getting the least amount of funding, um, least uh, amount of funding for their, for their public school educations. Yeah. And what do you think about all the, the, the Khan Academy type stuff? Because there's so many resources now online. Like I'm in my 40s, okay? So like I never had any of this YouTube stuff growing up because YouTube didn't exist, right? So I'm curious, how effective or useful do you feel all these various free online resources are for students in education? Well, it's a good question now, considering most schools uh, around the whole world went virtual, right? Distance learning in the spring and schools are trying to figure out how to make online learning um, work basically for this coming fall. So, you know, even Sal Khan will tell you there's nothing better than in-person learning, right? He's a resource, one resource. It should never, technology should never replace the teacher-student um, relationship. In fact, most research shows that technology disintermediates that relationship. And I'll give an example. Sal Khan started with teaching math through Khan Academy. And remember when the teacher used to collect pieces of paper and would see your work, show your work, that is pretty much been eliminated through teaching math online. So that means that the teacher's not really seeing how to best coach you because the, co the, the teacher doesn't see where you're making your mistakes, right? That's one example. And we have to figure out our best practices with technology because countries like, you know, Singapore, for example, they went back to school right away in May. And part of the reason that their distance learning worked is because they were teaching not just purely online, but each family had textbooks, physical textbooks, for the learning. So the reading and writing using a paper and pen and actual physical paper textbook was still intact. And what we do here is we replace all of that with just, you know, touch typing on an iPad and the iPad. And we have to figure out too, which technology to use because they're showing, our research is showing that the iPad is actually the worst kind of technology to use, whereas having really? a keyboard is much better. Yeah. Why? Why? Um, I would say, you know, there are lots of things. And I even talk about this in my book, World Class. You know, for example, think about when you have to do caps um, or, you know, capitalization or when you have to use punctuation or when you have to go back, it's much easier to use a keyboard than an iPad. And when kids do this, right, they just, they don't use punctuation or, or proper grammar because it's a pain in the neck to do so on an iPad. And there's, when, when there's less work to do, there's far less retention. Mm, that makes sense. That's that's so powerful. That that one line really is the the, the zinger. <laughs> right. When when we simplify things and do things for our kids and they don't struggle and learn from mistakes, we're yeah, not creating yeah. a resilient, you know, student body. No, I, yeah, th this can be a 10-hour conversation, but I, <laughs> I I appreciate your your time and I and I really love the title of your book and I hope everyone reads it. So Taru, how can our guests stay in touch with you and, and read your book? Well, uh, my book is sold at independent booksellers, Barnes and Noble, Target, um, Amazon, and uh, World Class is the title. I'm on all social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and um, I have some videos up. I'm speaking a lot. I'm on TV shows. So please look me up, get in touch with me. If there's um, a speaking opportunity for your organization, let me know. I do consulting gigs as well. So be in touch. I love talking about this stuff and hopefully my experiences professionally and personally can, can help your audience. Great. Thanks so much. Have a great day.
Thanks, you too. Thank you for listening to our Gifters podcast. If you want to turn your story into a successful speaking or coaching business, go to ChristopherKai.com for details.